Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. You're with Bharati Jagdish and Timothy Goh. Now, as technological advancements seep into the financial sector, more companies are popping up to offer convenient financial services. And one of the most popular branches at this digital disruption are neobanks. It's a digital bank that does not have any branches. Instead of having a physical presence at a set location, neobanking is entirely online. Neobanks in Singapore are, of course, no secret. This buzzword has gained prominence in the fintech community and it seems like a pretty novel idea. Why not? A new bank. But despite the craze, a new research by consulting firm Simon Kutcher shows that neobanks are actually struggling to turn a profit, with only a mere 5% of the world's reported 400 digital banks reaching break-even point. So let's speak with the experts to find out why and what exactly is the future of banking. Dr. Silvio Struvi, Managing Partner, Hong Kong, and Christoph Stegmeier, Global Head of Digital Banking at Simon Kutcher, join us now. Hi, guys. Hi, good evening. Hi there. Christoph, let's start with you. So why aren't neobanks doing as well as some thought they would? Yes, as you, as you just pointed out, we, we tracked the neobank worldwide and we ran an analysis on those most prestigious ones, uh, those that have sound financial data. And we found out, as you said, that only 5%, 5% of them are profitable today. Mm-hmm. And the first question we asked ourselves really was, is, is this a cost issue or is this an income issue? And in fact, it's quite clear that the models are built in an efficient way based on a new tech stack and, and in a really cost-saving manner. But there also is a gap in monetizing the client relationships that these banks are building. To give you a number, an average digital bank line today generates only about 20 to 30 US dollar in revenues on an annual basis. And we looked at the root causes for, for, for that behavior and, and those results, and we, we really found three root causes that we think are most important ones to to take into account. The first one is these neobanks have been planning their expansion too rapidly. Many of them have just put flags in new countries before before actually cracking their home market. And that overcomplexity has really hurt them mm. uh, in the years to come. Secondly, many of them are uh, launched by, by VCs or funded by VCs. So they, they come with a VC mindset that we know from other tech companies. But the fact is, banking works differently than other tech companies. So if you just focus on growth instead of profits and hope to turn customers into profit after six, seven years, that's likely not going to work in banking. And maybe a third reason is that, uh, and that might be surprising to some of the audience, but it's really a lack of innovation. Hmm. Whereas the neobanks have been really good in, in, in innovative hook products, but they've missed out all the subsequent trends such as BNPL, crypto or digital investments uh, and, and near brokerage to speak. And that really hurt them. They only have products that are not money-making at all. Mm, it so, sounds like they've got their fundamentals all wrong, like they don't have fundamentals at all. Well, uh, they, they have some fundamentals. The fundamentals they have are largely growth-related and client-related. And that's where they're really good. So not everything mm. is negative, mm. actually. There's good news as well. Uh, we found out that you mentioned the number. There's now 400 neobanks in some in some. Uh, years actually we saw 100 new banks popping up in the world that's about two per week that's that's enormous and these 400 neobanks 
uh, now if you if you accumulate their their number of customers we're talking about 1 billion client accounts in the world so 1 billion adults already are banking with these new breed of, of, of banks uh, which caused also valuations of these banks to to go uh, sky high um, when we did the analysis earlier this year we came to about a 300 billion dollar industry uh, something that of course has gone down a bit in in the recent market turmoils but it still means back then 1 billion accounts 300 billion value of the industry you can do the math it's around 300 US dollars per customer and that's quite a quite a, a good valuation so they must have done something right as well okay let's give the floor to dr Sylvia Struby dr why do you think this development in Singapore will be different that's a good question so we believe the, the landscape here is inherently very different so first the digital banking development is regulatory driven right and there has been only a few banking license issued so far. So that means less new entrants and also less competition compared to other markets. Uh, a second very important reason is that MIS clearly defines criteria for digital banks. So banks must demonstrate a path towards profitability within a few years, right? So ultimately this means less ruinous competition among the players. They can focus on profitable growth and really providing value to customers. And probably the last and most likely also the most important difference to other markets is that the, that a lot of these players are, have an ecosystem strategy already or already have an existing large customer base they can tap into. That means on the cost side, you know, benefits for acquiring new customers because they can leverage the existing, you know, uh, uh, customer base they have from the retail space or ride-hailing space mm-hmm. and on the, the revenue side as well, right? Then for them, it's easier to, to embed financial solutions in, in their current business so that retail customers can benefit from it. Or on the SME side, for example, that merchants or, or drivers can get access to, to financing or payment processing services. So we believe that these three reasons, they are, they are a bit unique for Singapore. Mm. To what extent can this be emulated in other countries, Christoph, since you're giving us the global outlook? Perhaps you could give us some examples of digital banks that have worked in other countries and to what extent the Singapore model could be applied there as well. So maybe before going into a single name, and I'll, I'll mention uh, one mm. or two of them afterwards, but uh, I want to draw your attention to a, a specific market, which is the Brazilian market, which mm. in my view is the most exciting market for neobanks there is. Uh, every second adult currently has an uh, account with a neobank, and the 10th largest Brazilian neobank still has about 5 million customers. Now, what happens there is that because of that competition, uh, all the banks there are extremely innovative. We obviously have a new bank that's that's well known. We have a Neon Bank. We have a C6 Bank. They're all branching out into super apps, into beyond banking, and into into very profitable consumer consumer finance business. So the market as such is interesting. If you want to look at individual players, uh, the name that always pops up in these discussions, Starling Bank in the UK, is really a good example for exploring new paths to profitability as they shifted from a B2C model to a B2B model where they're licensing their 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 account uh, offering in a in a task model and if you look more more closer to the to the singaporean markets i think the korean market is a good a uh, good case study to learn from in particular we like cacao bank which uh, which really had a a, a fast uh, fast journey to profitability i think that turned profitable in year three or four uh, after launch so what should digital banks here in singapore focus on pay attention to if they're looking to launch or grow well the 
the clear, I think the key thing is focus, right? A clearly focused value proposition and a clear focus on target groups. That's really important because then they can really reach the underserved segment in the market, right? For example, client segments that are profitable but don't have access to financing right now. Mm. So the focus is also, I think it's changing then over time, right? Before they launch, it's really figuring out what type of people of firms are out there, but just millennials and SMEs, that's not granular enough, right? Then while they grow, they should really carefully select which products they launch in what sequence, and then also in which markets they want to tap into in case they want to go when they have a regional strategy. And simply offering undifferentiated accounts, cards, and payments I mean, will not be enough to serve the demanding customer base in Singapore, right? They're spoiled with choices. Mm. And when they are at scale, they must ensure that to keep costs at reasonable levels, right? And also find really smart ways to drive engagement over time because the biggest one of the biggest challenges that banks invest a lot in for acquiring a customer but then they 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 are not active they are not using the financial Mm -hmm. services and that's why really engagement loyalty programs etc will be crucial for success let's talk about what the customer actually wants what are some of the major consumer trends that you anticipate in the next few years that all banks actually should be looking towards tailoring their offerings on so one key example one one key thing is that you know the offering is simpler right Mm -hmm. that onboarding is simple using it is simple and that's really embedded in everyday lives and here of course the ecosystems are in a very very fantastic position on the sme side is is, is also making the freeing up time for really you know acquiring their customers right so for example payroll accounting should be easier right you know accessing credit and financing should be easier i think these are really the the success factors that will be will be valued by the customers where does all of this leave traditional banks i mean traditional banks are also digitalizing but considering the rise of neo banks what exactly should they be doing right now i think for the for the existing banks. So generally, I mean, we believe that this development is a good thing for Singapore, right? It drives competition and ultimately innovation and everybody in Singapore will will benefit from it, right? So they they look, for example, at, 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 at um, speedboats. I think Christoph can share maybe a bit more, right? So that they launch a different brand and try out new things. So the... The innovation aspect is most likely what what, what customers will see in the near future. Mm. Christoph, since Silvio mentioned you, perhaps you could jump in here as well. Yeah, we, we actually believe that all of the traditional banks not only need to have a digital strategy, they also need to have a digital bank or neobank strategy. And there, I think, is three options for them. They can either build one themselves and play in the same, uh, playing the same game. There's been some very successful examples now that are just popping up and growing quickly. Uh, they can acquire one, maybe in the Singaporean and some of the Asian markets. It's a bit too early for that, but as we're seeing some of the valuations come down, we're hearing much more uh, chatter around large banks buying neobanks. Or the third option they have is, an, is a model that, that BBVA in Spain, for example, is running, which we would call a digitize and defend model. They learn from the neobanks, but they're literally building a very digital traditional bank, and they believe they don't have to go into that segment.
Mm, okay, just one last question, gentlemen. Interest rates on the rise globally. And of course, this affects banks as well. Uh, banks in Singapore and elsewhere all raising their mortgage rates. What does that mean in terms of what it will take for them to compete overall? Well, maybe I, I'll, I'll start answering that, that question. I think uh, price, of course, uh, margins is an important topic. And we believe that the, the neobanks will have an edge because they're just more efficient. So they should be able to, to have a competitive price. But even more so, what's important is they have to be innovative and they have to use their flexibility and their, their better tech architecture to quicker address the, the, the customer needs and not just focus on price, but really value add on. And uh, the one key topic that comes to mind is ESG, uh, which, is, which mm. is booming across the world. And the product has to have an ESG element into that. And I think the neobanks will, mm. will benefit from that. Silvio? Mm-hmm. I think on the deposit side, I mean, there, when interest rates go up, I mean, this results also in higher costs for attracting new deposits and clients. And that's why neobanks should really avoid overspending and making sure that they really drive client activity after opening account because that will be crucial for the cost situation. All right. Thank you very much for sharing those information with us. We've been speaking there to Dr. Sylvia Struby, the managing partner for Hong Kong at Go- uh, the Digital uh, Banking at Simon Kutcher and Christopher Stagmeyer, Global Head of Digital Banking at Simon Kutcher, joining us here on Primetime. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.